Thank you, Brother Don, for those kind remarks. I would like to disagree with something you said. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm a Bible student. And you take up a I'm a Bible student. I love the Word of God, and I love to teach it and preach it. And God has given me that opportunity, and I'm so grateful for it. Uh, I do praise the Lord for the fact that he's opened a door for me to go to Cuba. I'll only be there for one week, but it'll be an action-packed week. I'll be teaching the doctrine of the Holy Spirit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the mornings. And then I'll teach the same subject to a different group in the afternoon, and then we'll be going to different churches. Uh, I have a special visa that they have given me that will allow me to carry books into Cuba and uh, that will allow me also to preach and teach, and I'm very, very grateful for that. That song they just sang reminded me of a missionary friend of mine who started flying an airplane, and he painted a name on the side of his airplane and it said Sparrow 2. He was thinking, if the Lord's eye is on the sparrow, I want him to know that this airplane is a Sparrow 2. <laughs> but whether you're flying or walking or paddling in a, in a dugout canoe, Brother Gene, it's good to know that he's got his eyes upon us. Now this morning, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and when you have found that book, turn to chapter number 12. <clears throat> chapter number 12, I want to try to talk to you today about the Passover, the Passover. But before I get into the reading of the text, and I'll have you to help me read the text in just a moment, I would like to give a little bit of background to what we're going to be talking about this morning. And that is the fact that there is such a wonderful and beautiful correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is not possible to fully understand the New Testament without a basic understanding of the message of the Old Testament. One Testament does not and cannot exist without the other. You cannot have the New Testament without the Old Testament. And the New Testament makes no, no, no sense without the Old Testament. They are so intertwined and interwoven that they are inseparable. They're like the clothing that you have on today. You have both the wolf and the warp. And if either one of those could be removed, the shame of your nakedness would immediately appear. The whole counsel of God in the Old Testament forms the context for everything that the New Testament Christian holds dear. Now, your greatest ability is the ability 
to read. You say, well, I'm a brain surgeon. Well, you would not have become a brain surgeon had you not learned how to read. Your elementary school teacher who taught you how to read is the greatest hero or the greatest heroine in your life, except for your mom and dad. The greatest gift that anyone could receive is a complete copy of the preserved word of God in his or or her own mother tongue. The most important invention ever to occur on planet earth was the printing press, which makes the word of God available to millions of people. The greatest crime in the universe is the mistranslation and the misinterpretation of the Holy Bible. That God should create mankind was his own sovereign choice. He didn't have to do it. Nobody told him to do it. But God is still creating human spirits. And some of us are gathered here today. Creating individual, eternal, human spirits. He does so one at a time. God's very essence is his holiness and his love. And he created man for the purpose of being the recipient of his wonderful love. And in order that man might know about his wonderful love, he wrote a book about it. The most dangerous malady on earth is ignorance. The greatest danger in America today and in the world today is this fact that so many professing Christians are ignorant of what the Holy Word of God has to say. My greatest shame, personally, is that I do not know more of this precious book. May we each ask ourselves the question this morning, what am I doing with the greatest gift and the greatest ability to read it? The difference is life and death. Personally, I have found that out of the very many, many wonderful events in the Old Testament, there are about 10 events that occurred that sets the pattern and sets the stage for understanding both the Old and the New Testament. The first is the first messianic prophecy that is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, where the word of God says, God is speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. 
the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man. Isaiah 7, 14 says that a virgin would, would bear a child. And Hebrews 31, 22 said that God would do a new thing and a woman would compass a man. No biological father on earth. And this is proven by <clears throat> his genealogical, genealogical record in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter number 3. The second of those great events that I see in the Word of God that forms the pattern for what is to follow is the call of God on the life of Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 makes it very clear. Here God's plan for Israel and why. When I was a young man and started to read the word of God through for the first time at the age of 10, I bogged down in the book of Leviticus. But later as I read more and more of the word of God, I came to recognize that one of the greatest books in the Bible is the book of Leviticus. Now I'm giving background to what we're going to be talking about in just a few moments. And just recently, as I was reading again through the book of Leviticus, in chapter 18, the Bible begins to talk about the awful sin of incest and how God is naming person after person after person to whom a man is not, to quote from the Bible, uncover her nakedness, for that is the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of some other relative. And God seems to belabor the point as you go through the 18th chapter of the book of Leviticus. And then he gives a reason before he closes the chapter. Would you open your Bible to Leviticus 18, and let's begin reading with verse number 24. We'll get to, to our text in the book of uh, Exodus in just a moment. But in Exodus 18, 24, the Bible says, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. When you have time, Finish the reading of that chapter. And you recognize why God called Abraham. You recognize why God called the nation of Israel. And that reason is because all the other nations are so, so soaked in the debauchery of ungodliness and everything that is unlike God, such as homosexuality and all of these things that are mentioned in the word of God in the book of Leviticus. And he's saying, I want you to be different. And you can't do these things. You can't be like the rest of the world. Because he was raising up the nation of Israel to be a shining example and to be the instrument through which he was going to give our Savior, the Messiah, into the world. And the third thing that I notice as one of these ten uh, events in the Old Testament is the institution of the Passover and the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And we'll read that in just a moment in 
Exodus chapter 12. And then also after the institution of the Passover, there were six other great feasts that in Leviticus 23, God gave to the nation of Israel whereby he was going to prophetically forecast not only the history of Israel, the future of Israel, but the future of the rest of the world. I see also as number 10 would be the plan and the execution of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, if you and I in our study of the Old Testament can get these things solidly and clearly established in our own mind and in our own heart, then we're going to be making great strides as students of the Word of God. And we're going to help to solve the problem of ignorance of the Holy Scriptures. Along with that, I would say that there needs to be an understanding of the twofold aspect of the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first aspect was he was coming as a suffering servant, as a lamb providing atonement. And then secondly, he would later come as a reigning Lord, as a lion, as king of kings and Lord of lords. His own mother did not understand that. His own disciples did not understand that difference until after the resurrection. And seeking to know these things which are revealed should be our goal because God reveals himself to us every day when we open this precious book. And we learn things that are going to be a help to us now and throughout eternity. And depending on how we walk with God in this life is going to put us ahead of the game in the life to follow. We need to live today because of what God has promised to us for tomorrow. Now, if you will, please, if you have found Exodus chapter 12, I would like for you to stand, please, and read the word of God together with me. I trust that many people have your Bibles. I see a lot of Bibles there. We're going to read responsively. That is, I will read the first verse, and then you as a congregation, slowly and clearly, will read the second verse, I the third, you the fourth, and so forth. So if you have found now Exodus chapter 12, let's read the word of God together. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. 
And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt, everyone. And this shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Our Father, we pray that you will add the blessings of God to the reading of the word of God and help this unworthy preacher to somehow make clear the word of God today. Save that soul that's near as hell. Bring honor to your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The New Testament did not replace the Old Testament. It fulfilled the Old Testament. The Word of God cannot be replaced. Judgment Day had arrived in Israel, uh, in, in Egypt, as we read there in verses 13 and 14. But it will pass over all those who are under the blood. This is a great foreshadow and type of what God is doing in saving sinners from death and hell and sin and the judgment. Israel escaped that day, the judgment of God, because that Passover was the only one of all of the Passovers that was an effective Passover. Now, you will misunderstand what I'm about to say if you don't listen very carefully to my choice of words. The first Passover was the effective Passover. Everything else that they all observed down through the years were a memorial and were given for an ordinance. But on that particular day, God saved them from judgment. When the judgment of God fell upon the nation of Israel and they were there mingled among the people, God spared them. He allowed them to provide the blood and when he saw the blood, he passed over and did not bring the plague upon the individual family. Just so it is on the cross of Calvary. 
When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, that was the only effective sacrifice for sin. We observe the Lord's Supper. We observe baptism. But those ordinances are memorials. They are not effective to the absolution of sin. And so it is there are so many today who do not observe ordinances as we as Baptists do. They have what they call sacraments. Christ is our only sacrament. And his death on the cross of Calvary is the only event whereby we can look back in faith and trust and know him as our personal Savior. I would recommend that you read Hebrews 9, 19 to 27. We're not going to read all of the scriptures that we have today, but I'll give references for you to look to. But I do want you to look in the passage that we have just read. And you see there in verse number 3, it says, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. Notice that, a lamb. Now look in verse number 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Now look at number 5, verse number 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. May I humbly submit to you, my dear friends, that there is no word too few in the Bible. There is no word too many in the holy book. And this is not without significance that God says, a lamb, the lamb, and your lamb. There is a great lesson to be learned from this today. When we read of a lamb in that verse number three, if you will study it, you will come to recognize that the context of the verse speaks of substitution. You have to have a lamb to take your place. You cannot save yourself. Somebody says, oh, I believe God helps those who help themselves. That's true in the second aspect of salvation. It is not true in the first aspect of salvation. It is not true that God helps those who help themselves to become a Christian. The Word of God makes it very clear that the only way that anybody can come to know God is to come into that helpless position. God, I'm lost. I need help. I can't do this. Have mercy on me and save me for Jesus' sake. That's the only position that anybody ever came to who got saved. Of course, in the second aspect of salvation, God wants to do more than save us and take us to heaven. He wants our lives to be profitable. And so he allows us to work in his service. But that cannot be until he first has saved us. No doubt God is looking at this progression of Passover times down through the years. And he says, I, I, I don't want to have a lamb 
every year to be repeated over and over again. God is saying, in effect, I want one lamb who is going to die one time and who is going to absolve the the problem of sin forever. He is our substitute. And the person who gets saved has to come to that place where he recognizes Christ as his substitute. John the Baptist saw Jesus one day and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I want to hurriedly read from uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, that means the satisfaction for our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ in his precious blood is the only thing that can satisfy and stay off the wrath of God, as we see here. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, a lamb of substitute is what you need and what I need and what the world needs in order to be saved and meet God. Then in verse 4, it speaks of the lamb. And a study of this verse shows us that the context of the verse is talking about sufficiency. As a matter of fact, more than sufficiency. He says, if your family is too small and you can't eat a whole lamb in your Passover supper, then have your neighbor to come in and you share the lamb. The lamb is mentioned here in the word of God. The lamb. Christ is all I need, as the songwriter says. By the way, yesterday at the funeral, the Trask family sang a song I had never heard before. And it was absolutely beautiful and about the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you all for that. That was so beautiful. Uh, I don't know where that song came from. I I was wondering, did you write that? You didn't? Okay. Well, it it is indeed a beautiful song. But I just want to read 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 17, uh, where the word of God says, uh, chapter 8, verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So, the lamb means we have a substitute to take our place. When we could not do it ourselves, he came and took our place and did it for us. And also, this Passover lamb speaks of sufficiency. His blood is all that we need. As a matter of a fact, if you try to add anything to the grace of God, you annul the grace of God, and it doesn't work. Then we notice in verse number 5 of our text, it says, your lamb. And this speaks of the sanctification. Sanctification means to set apart in holiness for a holy purpose. 
God sanctified the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you turn please to the Gospel of John chapter 17. Christ was sanctified for the, person, for the purpose. Just as that Passover lamb was to be set aside and dedicated for that wonderful purpose. <clears throat> In the Gospel of John chapter number 17 verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Here we have a twofold sanctification. Christ has sanctified himself. On the tenth day of the month, uh, in the month of Nisan, the Lord Jesus Christ on that Sunday morning rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. And was rejected ultimately. And then by the middle of the week. We see him appearing again on the cross. He presented himself. And they as a nation rejected him as their king. And now we can come to see that the Lord Jesus Christ. Fulfilled the purpose of his coming. By being the lamb of sacrifice. On the cross of Calvary. I think it would be very well. If we could study this entire passage. If we only had the time this morning. To study this passage in the gospel of John. To see that sanctification means to set apart for a holy purpose. Did you know that God has that in mind for you even today? Listen to the book of Psalms chapter number 4. And verse number three, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. As a Christian, God wants you to be a godly person. He wants to set you aside to receive his great blessings. And so he says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. God has a supreme and a wonderful purpose for your life. Oh, the sadness of going through life and being involved in so many things and yet not finding that ultimate real purpose for which God intended for you to enjoy and to know. His purpose becomes our purpose. We are not sanctified to serve ourselves or to be served by others. As Christ is set apart by the Father, we too are chosen to participate in that eternal purpose which begins the moment we repent and believe. Now we've seen a little bit about the Passover. We haven't plunged the depths of it. There's not time. But we have seen this morning that the Passover means substitution. 
You can't do it. Somebody has to do it for you. We've seen also that the Passover means sufficiency. What he does in the saving of your soul is all that you need. You do not need the sacraments. You do not need baptism. You do not need the Lord's Supper. Those have a different purpose. They're not in the first aspect of the salvation of your soul. And we have seen also that the Passover means that Christ was set aside for us and then has set us aside to serve his purpose. I want us to close by looking at some other passages of Scripture. Would you turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 7. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 5 and verse number 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Now to get this last statement. For even Christ, our Passover, is sanctified for us. Now don't make the mistake. I'm saying, oh, that's the Old Testament, this Passover thing. That's for Israel. That's for the Jew. No, the text we just read was written to a Gentile congregation. And he said, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. There, here we have a blending of the two testaments. The blending of the purpose of God in the Old Testament with the completion of God in the New Testament. Our Lord perfectly fulfilled the prophecy. Let's read it one more time in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 6. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. God prescribed a specific time when this was to be done. The death of Christ could not have been done any other way than the way in which it was done. It could not have occurred any other place than the place in which it occurred. And it could not have occurred at any other time than the specific time that God said. And he says here in this prophecy in the book of Exodus chapter 12 that it would be on the 14th day of the month. We know that that 14th day of the month is the month Nisan, or Nisan. I have with me a Jewish calendar for the year 2023. Something very beautiful occurred this year in the month Nisan that very seldom occurs. We are so accustomed to following the Roman Catholic tradition of quote-unquote Easter 
until most of the years we miss the actual anniversary of the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be exact in your observance of the anniversary of the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't go by the Gregorian calendar. It is so full of mistakes. Go by the Jewish calendar. And this year, back in the month of April, which corresponds with the month Nisan in the Jewish calendar, it so occurred that the 14th day of Nisan was perfectly aligned with the death and the resurrection of our Savior. The scripture says here, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now think of the word evening and come up with the word eve. We have Christmas Day. We have Christmas Eve, which is the day before. We have New Year's Day, and we have New Year's Eve, which is the day before. Our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified the day before the 14th day of Nisan. It says that it was to be done the evening before. You remember in studying the gospel records that it was getting late in the day of our Lord's crucifixion. And they were in a hurry to get those men off of those crosses and get them in the, in the grave. Why? Because the next day was the Sabbath day, not Saturday. There were two Sabbath days in the week of our Lord's crucifixion. One was the annual Sabbath, the Passover, and the other was the weekly Sabbath. So he was not crucified on Friday prior to the Sabbath on Saturday. There's no way he could have been crucified on Friday and then raised from the grave on Sunday morning and have three days and three nights in between. Common logic tells us that that's not the way it is. But the writer Luke has so perfectly described the conditions and the days and the timing of that wonderful occasion. If you will read with me in the book of Luke in chapter number 22 and verse number 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Another passage in the New Testament, I believe it's in the book of Mark, says that this was the day of preparation. It was the day before the 14th. They could not wait until this high and holy day in order to sacrifice the lamb because on that day was a high and holy day. So they were in a hurry to get these men off the cross before the coming of the Sabbath day. 
But in the book of Luke in chapter number 23, the Bible says in verse 54, And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. That's the day before the 14th. And the Sabbath drew on, and it happened to fall on Thursday on that day. On that week. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now get the picture. The Lord Jesus Christ is put in the grave just before sundown. And by the way, the key to understanding all of this is to recognize that this, the, the, the 14th day of Nisan began at sundown. Jewish days began at sundown. And so the Lord is in the grave. And now it is the Sabbath. And they can't do anything. They have only to rest. But the next day is Friday. And so on Friday... It's not a Sabbath. And so they begin to get busy and they prepare spices and ointments. And they do that preparation. And then they have to stop again. Because the next day is the weekly Sabbath. And they rest on that day. And then turn to Luke 24 verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found N-O-T. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The validity of your salvation, the validity of this precious book that I hold in my hand is based on that one three-letter word. They found not the body. They had brought these spices to anoint Christ, but all of that preparation of the spices and the anointment was, uh, was for no avail because they would not need it because he now is alive. But what are we seeing in all of this? We're seeing that that beautiful picture back in, in the book of Exodus chapter 12 finds its perfect fulfillment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 23. How wonderful it is to know that our Lord Jesus Christ has done that for us. But now, there is a greater question that each of us may face. And that is the fact that every one of us here today will face God with this, either by repentance and faith now, or in eternal judgment after death. The question that we must close with this morning is, is he your lamb? You need a lamb of substitution. You can't do it yourself. You need to recognize that the lamb of God is all you need. He's fully sufficient. And then you need to recognize that he is your lamb. God kept him up. God set him aside. God chose him. And that he is God's only choice for the salvation of your soul. Over in the book of Ephesians, chapter number one, listen to what the word of God has to say. <clears throat> um, chapter number one and verse number 13. 
speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of, what is the next word? The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Your Lamb, oh my precious friend, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, you must have a personal confrontation with God based on repentance and faith and based on the provision that he has made through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lamb, the lamb, but is he your lamb this morning? Oh, I pray God that he is your lamb today. May we stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and our hearts lifted to God in prayer. And our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would put this truth into all of our hearts and help us to know that we individually must have a personal encounter with God, a personal confrontation with God, that religion is not enough, that the elements of the, of the Lord's Supper and baptism are not enough. Help us to realize that it is only by the precious blood of Christ which he shed on the cross of Calvary and proved good by his wonderful resurrection. I'm going to ask that the ladies begin to play the instruments. And the invitation is now open. Is there one here today who would say, Preacher, I've been a member of the church, but I don't know, I'm not saved. Would you settle that matter today and come in repentance and faith and trust Christ as your Savior? Is there one who would say, Well, I've never made a profession of faith in Christ. I've never come to this personal time of claiming the Paschal Lamb as my personal Savior and my personal Lord. Would you come this morning? I can't save you, but I'll be glad to pray with you and we'll read some scripture. You can know Christ as your Savior if you come in repentance and faith. Is there one today? Man, woman, young person, God speaking to your heart, would you come? set him apart for you and God has set you apart for him do you know him as your Lord do you know him as your Savior I'll turn the service back over to you Thank you, Brother Larry. Again, the question is, is he your lamb this morning? The invitation right here is concluded, but it's still out there. Feel free to come to one of us before you leave this building. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, this is a great day to know him and to get to know him personally in your heart today. Great message. Great message. I get it all. He explained things, probably some of you have never heard before, and it will help you. 
It's all in the Word of God, every bit of it. And thank the Lord for it. Thank you. Now let's be back here tonight. Let's look forward to what God has for us. Don't miss it. Brother Jerry's going to speak tonight. Let's pray one for another. Let's remember those we lifted up in prayer this morning. And again, thank you, Brother Larry, for the message this morning. We appreciate it so very much. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you, Lord, for the message and the messenger. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful, written, precious Word of God. It explains to us so much of why you came to this earth. You came because you gave your life for us so we can serve you. Now, I pray, dear Father, Lord, for that one that still may have some hesitation, have some questions. May they come to us today. Lord God, each one, bring us all back here tonight, looking forward to what you have for us in the house of God. We thank you for it in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you.